It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a magic marker. A, a felt pen. It's a mistake. It's a trap. It's a fucking comedy. It's quiet. Maybe too quiet. It's all happening. It's a good day to die. It's a good day to talk about movies. Welcome back. It is a good day to talk to Rick Paulus. I am your host, Duncan. Joining me as always is Gardner. Welcome back, folks. This is a really, really fun one. Hell yeah, I'm glad we're already vouching for it because this is a great interview that we have for you today. Like I said, we will be joined shortly by author and journalist Rick Paulus, known for his books, Eastern Span, as well as The Palmer Hotel, both of which are available for purchase from him directly by contacting him either through his website or on Twitter. If you're active on Twitter, you've surely seen him at Real Rick Paulus on Twitter talking about his books, if not The Palmer Hotel, his most recent one, which was released in 2021, then both The Palmer Hotel and Eastern Span, which was released in 2019. But we get into all of that and much more in this very in-depth interview where Rick tells us all about his career, his books, his passions, what's next, everything. It's really exciting. We can't wait to share it with you. If you don't know about Rick Paulus, definitely check him out. Like I said, he's available on Twitter at Real Rick Paulus, which is available to link in our podcast description. You can find it there, or you can go to his website, rickpaulus.com, to find all of his work, including past journalistic endeavors. I highly recommend checking out his books. I haven't gotten to read Eastern Span yet, but I am in the process of reading The Palmer Hotel, and I'm already hooked. No spoilers, but it's a very Duncan book. If you know what a Duncan movie is, it might be hinting at what a Duncan book is as well. But it's very up my alley. I enjoy it so far, and I can't wait to keep reading it. And it's also an anthology, so it's short stories that are told over chapters where you can pick it up and then leave it for a little bit and come back because there are all different stories and different chapters about this one hotel and the spooky incidents that happened there. But like I said, we'll get into that and much more in this interview. So this is the Friday full episode of GDT, our podcast. On this podcast, we talk about movies we love and interview independent filmmakers and people involved in the filmmaking process and other creatives. Today, we are interviewing Rick Paulus, the author of the books I mentioned previously and many journalistic articles, like I said. We have a lot of great interviews in our past as well, so definitely check those out because we had the opportunity to interview some amazing people, Rick being the latest in a line of them. So check this one out and then go check out our other interviews if you haven't heard them already. Then on top of these Friday full-length episodes, we have three other bonus episodes a week. We have our Monday miniseries where we talk about Nostalgia, the short film that myself and Kari, another host of GDT, are working on creating. If you want to know what the hell I'm talking about, just check out the Monday miniseries. We've already done eight episodes on that, and next week will be episode nine. Then on Tuesdays, we also have our Marvel Cinematic Universe walkthrough, where me and the MPU, that's right, the Marvel Podcasting Universe squad, go through the MCU movie by movie. These are your superhero-related episodes for all of our superhero folks, and they're hosted by CB, myself, 
Mac, and Jalen. This week we did Captain America, the first Avenger, and it released on Wednesday instead of Tuesday because sometimes that happens when you have a Duncan editing your episodes. But don't worry, they'll always be released at least on Wednesday, if not Tuesday. So we did Captain America, the first Avenger this week. We've done all the ones prior to that in previous weeks, like Iron Man, Thor, The Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2. And now coming up next week is The Avengers. So if you're into superhero stuff, get ready for that and check out the other ones as well that we've done in the past. But anytime there's a new superhero show or movie from Marvel, DC, or an indie comic book property, we'll also be reviewing that on those Tuesday slash Wednesday episodes. So stay tuned for The Boys Season 3 recap, Ms. Marvel Season 1 recap, 4-4 discussion, and much more whenever they drop. So whenever there's a new show or movie, we'll talk about that that week and push off the MCU to the following week. But for anyone interested in superhero stuff, those episodes are for you. Then our final bonus episode a week is the Thursday episode where we talk about a relevant movie, a relevant TV show, something new, or we have a guest on to talk about a movie they love. Right now, we're going through a miniseries on the new Disney Plus Star Wars show, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So yesterday, when we dropped that Thursday episode, we did Obi-Wan Kenobi Part 5. That show is releasing on Wednesdays, and then our recap of it releases on those Thursdays. So it's almost done, because next week is the final episode of the show, Part 6, and our final episode of that miniseries, where we'll recap it. So next week, we'll be finishing up the Obi-Wan Kenobi episodes with the recap of the final episode of that show, and the following week, we'll find a new relevant movie, TV show, or topic to talk about. Those are all of our shows weekly, so stay tuned for those and look at our back catalog of episodes for ones you might have missed. Now it's time to talk to Rick Paulus, but before we do that, I want to warn you that you do not need to have read his books. That's right, we won't be spoiling anything, so if you have not yet read anything by Rick Paulus, don't worry, we'll give you the chance to meet him in this interview, hear about him, get really excited, and want to read his books afterwards. And we'll make it really easy for you, we've already given you where to find them, and we're going to link them in the podcast description, so once you fall in love with this writer in this interview, you'll be like, well, how can I read his books? They're right here. Don't even fret. And they're cheap. So don't worry. You'll get your hands on a physical copy of one of his books, if not both of them. Well, there's only a couple left of Eastern Span. I can't promise that you guys are going to get your hands on the last two, but we'll see. You'll hear about that right now in this interview. Here it is. Rick Paulus. We are joined now by a very special guest, author Rick Paulus, known for his books Eastern Span and The Palmer Hotel, is here with us today to talk about his work. Rick, thanks for being here. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're super excited. And before I get started, I'd like to know how I do on that background. Is there anything you want to add for our audience? No, I think that's good. I think that being known for those books is is maybe not as accurate as being known for the tweets about the books for some stupid reason. And so like, I would say that uh, there's a plenty of people who have seen the dumb, dumb tweets that I've somehow made my, a part of like the silliest brand in the world. Uh, but as far as the books go, you know, handful of readers, few people seem to enjoy it. My mom likes them. And so that's kind of like I'm known in certain circles. And those circles are basically my family that I am like an author everywhere else. I'm just like a dumb, random tweeter. So you heard it here, audience. We've got a very modest interviewee on our hands today. <laughs> but that actually leads perfectly into what I was going to ask you to share with our audience that obviously me and Gardner know already. But if they haven't seen you on Twitter, how can they find those books that I just mentioned? And how can they support you and find out about your work? 
Well, I guess um, I suppose the first thing would be to follow me. Um, and cur- currently, my at is real Rick Paulus. That's one word, but that does change every now and then because I do get booted uh, and I do kind of uh, fly a little too close to the sun in terms of Twitter's uh, terms and conditions. And every now and then do end up having to uh, to kind of get a new uh, new account name. But that's that's the best way uh, if you if you don't want to or then you might just happen to see me in the bottom of a uh, of a really bad tweet that has gone viral for some reason and that I want to to kind of like seep some of that clout or negative clout away for my own uh, personal benefit in this case uh, by selling one of my books so it's actually really pretty easy to find and it's yeah. not something that anyone can say that they won't be able to find because not only can you just follow him on twitter and then dm him and and you know venmo him for the book directly but you could also like he said just find him on a random viral post which is i think genius i, I love it so <laughs> i you know you called it a silly brand but i think it's it's great and we will remind our audience at the end of the show about where to find him on twitter and all that will be in the podcast description and we'll keep you guys updated if there is a change in twitter handle as well in the future <laughs> i might that might have been my last uh, so i guess still, yeah, to tell the story a little bit you know i get bored with twitter it's a very dumb way to spend time and so what i did most recently was just pretended to be neil degrasse tyson for a day and so just basically changed my photo changed the name kind of changed everything i didn't have the blue check of course but uh then i i just kind of pretended to be him for a good 12 hours making uh really asinine observations about how the universe is less spectacular than you think it is or something like that whatever his like you know his like vibe his like very specific annoying voice uh and so i was just kind of having fun doing that and then somebody must have uh ratted me out and and kind of my account got locked suspended never got it back and so i had to start a new one but i don't know i'm it feels like that might be the end of that kind of thing. I got to figure something new out. It's always like you have to adapt to whatever the dumbest thing is. And so just as long as I can keep on finding uh, worse and worse ways to spend my time and to pass my time, then I guess that's what Twitter's about. Hey, I mean, whatever works, mm-hmm. right? Whatever works. That leads into like one of the questions I had for you was uh, what is your marketing strategy? It sounds like that's you've kind of already covered that it's what shit posting on Twitter. I mean, so yeah, so the way that that started, I guess to go back a little bit, because Eastern Span was the first book that I wrote and self published and all that stuff. And so I had, I did this thing where I had, I printed out like a 1000 copies. And this was when I was living in the Bay Area. And in the Bay Area, they have this thing called uh, street newspapers, which is like uh, homeless folks in the street, they, you know, sell newspapers that are written about homeless issues, sometimes by homeless writers and stuff like that. Um, and then they keep whatever money is they get from the sale, usually, you know, two, three bucks or whatever. And my thing was like, I wanted to write this book, I wanted to print it out. Um, and I wanted to kind of donate a bunch of copies of them because I knew some people that worked there. And I like I as a journalist, I'd covered homeless issues with them a lot. And so I was like, all right, this will be fun to do. And so I needed to, you know, sell basically, it was like I needed to sell 350 in order to make the money to justify the thousand is kind of like the breakdown of the money. Um, and so I I did it once and it worked out great. I sold the 350. I donated the 650. They sold all that, got the money. So I did it a second time and I same kind of process. I donated the 650 and then I had to sell the rest. And after 
I guess like I ran out of friends and family who who had who wanted to buy a copy of it. So I had all these copies just kind of sitting in my uh, in my closet. And I was also like about to move. And I was like, I just want to get rid of these fucking things. Like, what do I do? And so I put them. So then as I was just kind of messing around, Stephen A. Smith like tweeted some, hey, take a look, y'all kind of like tweet that was kind of a throwback to an old classic of his of the forum. And so I would just like, like randomly just threw a tweet on like right underneath because I ha- happened to be on Twitter as he did it. And so I saw it like within like a minute and I was like, oh shit, I got to do something with this like access that I had. And so I just randomly threw an ad on there. The first one I did and it got like something like a million views. There was like hundreds of comments that were there. I think I sold 10 books just off of that one. And I was like, oh shit, there's like something weird here. Um, And so from there, I was able to kind of, you know, do the same thing. And I sold out through the rest of those, like the 300 that I need needed to, although there's our two copies left now, because I did find another box somewhere. So that was the start of the whole thing. And then as that was happening, I was kind of like putting the finishing touches on this other book that I wanted to self publish. And then I thought, I don't don't know, I guess I'll do the same thing. And so now with that, it's like, uh, I printed a 1000 copies of that. And I have 550, 560 sold. And so I still have like, you know, 400 and change left to go. And we're just gonna, I guess, keep on doing that. Or or if that doesn't work, set up a table at some park. I don't know. We'll see. Like, we'll see what happens. Well, it sounds like a good system and it sounds like it's been working for you. Definitely wouldn't say you should change anything. <laughs> I, I wanted to touch on something you mentioned earlier. You had a background as a journalist. Um, and I wanted to ask you about like your background as a writer, how you went from journalism to um, writing novels or if that was something that you kind of always had in the back of your mind that you wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, the journalist thing was, I mean, I and I still do it here and there. But for 15 years, I was a pure freelance journalist, like writing for and like journalists, you know, when you say freelance journalist, it it means like, um, like I was making money writing on the internet. And some of that was journalism. Some of that was blogging. Some of that was, uh, you know, content farm writing. Some of that was like articles that you'd get paid $25 because uh, they wanted to work the Google SEO so that when people search how to uh, eject a CD in a Prius in 2006 Prius if something pops up. Um, and so I was just doing all sorts of stuff. But um, but yeah, a lot of that was journalism for a bunch of different places. And, um, and that was just purely a way to kind of like make money. And there was kind of like a, I mean, it was, you know, yeah, it was a way to make money and something I liked doing. But then I got kind of like a contract gig doing like some copywriting. And so all of a sudden, like the need to make money through freelance journalism was no longer there. And it was like, I'm not, it's such a awful industry in so many different ways. The people are relatively cool, but like you don't get paid for anything for the amount of work that's being put into stuff. And especially now, like with the media environment, like whatever you write, like maybe you get like a little bit of like, it's good to get a little bit of buzz, you know, of like, uh, I don't know, there's like a feedback loop of like you write something and then people respond to it and retweet it or whatever, say you did a good job. And that used to, <laughs> it felt like that used to be like a day or two. And now it's maybe like an hour or two or something. And so hey, what even like the emotional reward is gone now. So anyway, I had like money coming in for the first time that I didn't have to like pitch however many articles a week to like kind of make my rent money. Um, And so once I had that, I was like, well, I still like writing. I still have to figure out something to do. And so that was just like, well, let's try to write like a book. And I've like, you know, I've done creative writing in the past or, you know, whatever, like silly shit on the side that I would do. And this was just kind of like, well, let's see if I could do it and see how that works. And at least at the very least, it'll keep me active. And it was like, it was a good way also to 
kind of like use the journalistic process of, or like things that I had learned through being a journalist in the Bay Area, specifically Oakland for like six years, um, and to use that into something. And so like, I was able to kind of like take what I learned and sort of like experiences that I had as uh, in terms of like reporting on things, then just kind of like putting it into like a little narrative and put some jokes in there and stuff and then and kind of have that. So that was the, it was just kind of like a it was a pivot, but it was a pivot made like pretty much because I had my rent covered for a few months, which was like not the case for the decade before. <laughs> so every writer is different. And I wonder if even approaching the different types of writing that you have just talked about, obviously not all the same type of output. So I was wondering what your particular writing style is like and if that differed in your many different journalistic endeavors and now your writing, if that's a different process, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely... I mean, I think for I think one thing that's similar for me is that I like need deadlines. And so, you know, for journalism, the deadline is pretty simple. It's like dictated by the editor and then you just you follow it and then you post it. And a lot of time it's based on like, um, you know, current events that really like it needs to be out like in a week, it will kind of be worthless. And so we need this now. Um, and so that that's just like locked in my brain. And so like what happened was with Eastern Span, what I wanted to do was have it physically out there in the streets of Oakland and, and Berkeley and San Francisco. But also I knew I was moving. Now I live in Brooklyn. And so I knew I was moving. So I need that was like sort of the deadline. So it was like, all right, I know I'm going to move in the next year. I have to finish this before I move. Um, and so it was kind of like, a, you know, as, as far as like the day to day writing, that's one thing. But like, for me, the thing that matters most is kind of like the overall, like, as long as I know, like, this project needs to be done by X date, then I could rearrange my schedule and whatever. And, and that's fine. But like, I need to have it in my head, like this has to be done by like a certain date. Um, for the Palmer Hotel, it was sort of similar in terms of like, I I wanted to get it done before like the Halloween season, because it's like a Halloween spookyish book or whatever. And so I, pl I started it like, well, I mean, it started off as a new, it was a, it started off as like a newsletter thing where it was like one story a day over October. And so it was like, I started that process planning in like March. And then by the time October came around, then it was like, okay, here's one story a day that I'd written. And then after that is when I kind of did the thing of where like, all right, let's make this in that actual like printed book. And so, but I already had like the content or whatever, you know? And so that was like less of a thing. But as far as like the initial um, kind of burst or the initial like, you know, distribution thing. It was it was really like just based on I want to write 31 stories for the month of October. And so what how do I do that? And then from there, kind of once it, once I have that kind of in mind, then the rest of it kind of falls like into place. Because once I like know I want this thing to be done by this date, then everything else is just kind of like working on it all the time, sort of. <laughs> but, but like, but then at least, you know, you have to get, you know, certain things done. I don't know. That's how I work for whatever reason. And every writer is different. And they have their own methodology of how they come up with their stories, or they, they build their schedule. And I'm curious, as someone who has been writing for so long, um, you just talked to us about that process. But I'm curious, obviously, by now, you know, you, you're confident in your abilities, um, you know, your voice, but I'm curious, was there anyone that you like really studied or wanted to emulate when you were starting off either in journalism or with fiction in particular? Yeah, I mean, 
sure if you get yeah if i go back to like you know like the early 2000s or stuff you'll see a lot of like footnotes in my journalism just because like i was a huge like david foster wallace fan at that point it was like just try to like emulate any and try to ape everything that like he did for a little period of time i mean stephen king was very important just because of like even though all his books are kind of like flawed they're all very easy to read (laughs) and they're all like very like they're hard to put down i mean there was like yeah i mean like journalistic wise i think it's really like for me it was kind of because i'm i lived in chicago then i moved to la then i moved to the bay and now i'm in new york and what i find with journalists is that i have very little use of like national trend pieces or things like that and what i do have use for is like truly like local journalism and so like the like and there's a bunch of people like a name from like each city but when i'm living there and usually there a lot of them and you know back in the day it would be like in the alt weeklies and stuff and then that kind of shifted to like sort of more local blogs and whatever um and now i guess it's i mean there's a few there's a handful of like local sites that are sort of still kicking around but uh but a lot of that's just like been relegated to twitter for better or worse but it's just there's something about like being able to kind of like visualize where events are taking place and like knowing the landscape and knowing like the streets and things like that, that like helps me uh, just understand what's going on in, in the world as po- as opposed to like what's sort of happened with like magazines, especially I don't, like, and they're fine, but you know, something like uh, the Atlantic or something like whatever you name it uh, as like, however many you want to name. And it's just like, they're covering these like esoteric kind of like theoretical, like here is a trend that's going on in the nation or, here is like war and these just like abstract concepts that like i i'm not smart enough to like know whether they're right or wrong it's just kind of like there's no use for it for me and so it's like it just go kind of goes in the garbage for me and then like any like local stuff of like oh here's a pothole on your street it's like oh there you go yeah that's something i know like that's something i get um and so like as far as journalism goes i always that was something i did try to emulate a little bit was just like when i was writing in oakland i was doing a lot more journalism in oakland and la than i than i have in new york but just like walk the street go out there actually like put your feet on the ground of the things that you're reporting and like describe it in a way and maybe take pictures and stuff to so readers at home know what you're talking about as opposed to just kind of like sitting at your computer and you know making phone calls to like five experts that you happen to get their email addresses somehow and then some like trying to like form some bullshit piece from that um so i guess i don't know i don't know if that answers your question but that's kind of like it's more like it's not like names as much as like a type of journalism that i was like really attracted to i thought that was great definitely answer my question right check (laughs) and not to go off on too much of a tangent here but you are talking about a past in journalism you spoke about donating your books to the homeless newspapers and helping them out with that and you were just in that last answer kind of touching on you're interested in things that are important to you or that are more tangible i guess or things that are relevant isn't i guess the right word but something more local local and important i think but so i guess i want to give you the chance and to talk to our audience a lot of them are long island probably in brooklyn some of them what are if you want to any issues that maybe people aren't reading about enough because they're focused on these more like you're saying bigger not actual things that are tangible that they're reading about are there anything that you want to like shout out like hey pay attention to this what's going on in your neighborhood well yeah i mean everything everything that i've really been obsessed with over the past like five or six years is just all housing based and so like it is everything from um how 
like New York has like a homeless issue, right? And that's kind of like whenever people say that, a lot of times it's coming off in sort of a reactionary way of it, where it's like there we have to get rid of the homeless <laughs> and stuff. And it's kind of like, well, I agree, but maybe maybe I maybe you're saying a different thing that I'm saying. Um, and so it's kind of like you know, there's a lot of like root cause work that goes on with like why do people end up on the street? Why are there people on the street as opposed to in houses and um, and things like that? And like and like so you'll have you know New York City Mayor Eric Adams doing a bunch of like homeless encampment sweeps as like a solution to something which is essentially just like uh you know there'll be an encampment of handful of tents and then the police will go and they'll if people aren't there they'll just throw all the tents in the garbage and then the people will come back and all their stuff will be gone or or whatever and like the end result of that is they'll get more tents and get more things then move you know a few blocks away or and then the police will come out again this the cycle kind of continues uh it's just kind of like a show it's just like a it's just like feeder or whatever someone wants to do it as like the leaf blower approach to like solving homelessness which just like you know you just move things around or whatever and so so that's like one thing that's going on of kind of just like this like and it's happening in every city too it's kind of like every city is sort of trying to solve homelessness the same way which is just moving people around or telling them they can't go here without really saying you can go here without saying like here we're going to provide you with like a house a lot of times you know it's like we'll give you a shelter space for the night but you can't bring in your dog you can't bring in any of like, your belongings you like have to follow these rules you have to be in at a certain hour you have to be out at a certain hour which is like all right it's snowing or or something that's one thing but like as far as like the choice of someone doing that as opposed to like you know having a place to actually live two different things. so that uh you know that's the stuff is going on that i would like people to <laughs> i guess be interested in not only in new york but again it is happening in every city in the nation and so like whatever is happening here is happening elsewhere and it's something to kind of keep an eye on. and i think it's a, it's like a really good way to like to read and to understand sort of what is happening with just like the privatization of housing and um and like the rise of the for-profit like housing industry and things like that and so like everything all that shit's connected uh recently in new york there was kind of like a kind of a push towards uh this thing called just cause eviction which was a law that was being introduced in the new york state legislature that would have um would have done a few things but one of the things it would have done is sort of like de facto capped a rent increase for renters in new york uh that didn't pass it has a lot of support in terms of like, if you like ask people on the street, there's like, a, there's a bunch of polling that says like people are like for it, but ultimately, you know, landlords and, and property owners kind of control a lot of uh, legislation. And so that didn't even come up for a vote or anything. And so I don't know, th and th those two things are like, basically, it's kind of both sides of it. It's kind of chicken and egg kind of thing. It's like, if people can't afford a place to live, then what do they get? They go on the street and then you end up just pushing them around. So it's, I don't know, those issues are just kind of what I've like been focused on. And just kind of, yeah, been obsessed with sort of watching because I think it is a way to like, you could talk about affecting change, and you could talk about like, what you can do to like help and all that stuff. And that's great. And I think that you got to figure out where you can help in whatever way that is. And everyone and the answer for that is uh, like, every, it's different for everyone else. Like, whether that's giving money, whether that's collecting signatures, whatever, I don't know, whether that's like handcuffing yourself to another person and like being outside in an encampment, if you want to do that. I know people have done that. I've seen that. It's great. Like uh, any way you can is, is something. But for me, like, I think like watching those stories, it's like, it's just a way to like read what is going on in the breakdown of society in that, like that sector at least. And so that to me are the stories that I like, I read a lot and I kind of like, get obsessed with. Thank you for that. And I shouldn't have made that too New York centric when I was 
asking it. I'm glad that you did. You specified that this is, hey, this is not just a, a New York thing as well, because I know I was, I kind of led into it with the, hey, we have a lot of New York listeners. We have a lot of listeners from other places as well. So if you're not in New York, obviously you just heard stuff that is going on, not just in New York. And again, really good, deep, in-depth answer. So thank you for that. Well, I mean, it's like with, with something like homelessness too, it's interesting because like every city, every city resident in every city that they live in think that they have the worst like homeless crisis in the nation because they're seeing like whatever they're seeing, they don't like. And that then they're like, that's what they know. But like as someone who has like lived in LA and the Bay and I go, I return there all the time and like here and like, I just kind of have been following homelessness on a national level for, for a long time. It's like, it is the same problem everywhere like it is happening all over the place and it is it needs like a national kind of like solution that doesn't seem like it's going to come at any time soon but it is kind of like everyone's going through kind of the same process and like it's probably smart for people to kind of start thinking in those terms as opposed to just like oh all the homeless are coming to the bay area or all the homeless it's more just like cities are becoming unlivable and the result of that is um homelessness and so it's like okay so we need we need to fix like how cities are operated not we need to fix like this block we need to fix like a block in la or something we need to fix like an encampment under like the 880 in oakland or something it's like no we need to like fix how like some core concepts of like what is going on with like property ownership in cities and that to extend that answer (laughs) yeah i i love that you you're drawing attention to that like through that specific lens because it, it there's a lot of otherizing of the homes population i feel like in the general discs and it gets lost in the fact that like they're just folks they're just people and they're just having a hard time through oftentimes circumstances out of their control and we need to address those root causes and like you said you know i don't think a federal level solution is due anytime soon but that i think is is where we need to where we need to direct our energy particularly in the because it's it's um it's starting to affect and it's it's a shame that this is what's drawing people's attention to it is that it's starting to affect people in communities where there isn't like a homeless problem like for example where i live in the mountains of north carolina there's not really you don't see a homeless population very often but what you do see is airbnbs and vacation rentals and stuff like that getting bought up by people who are not from that area uh, and then rented out to vacationers or whoever. And then the people who live and work and are native to those areas, forcing them to commute, you know, hour, hour and a half every day. And I think that's starting to draw more attention to the root causes of like the housing issue. But I I want those things to be coupled because like you said, like the homelessness issue is one that just has been around for so long and just has not been addressed, unfortunately. Yeah, that Airbnb thing is a great example, too, because that that is like um, because, yeah, all these issues are kind of like, yeah, they're all kind of confluent or they're all kind of like meshing with one another. And like having something like that where, yeah, people um, as opposed to having the space that is allocated for hotels and things like that, having that kind of dry, like unused because now people want to pay twice as much because they have a kitchen that they don't have i don't know and that like (laughs) it it also feels like airbnb it used to be a better deal or there used to be something to it and now it's just kind of like i went to mexico recently and we just 
stayed in hotels the whole time. And it was great. They wash your sheets every day. You get breakfast. You don't have to deal with some like random asshole who's like, who like might put cameras in the walls and shit like that. It's like, it's great. Like, I like, I think bringing back the hotel lifestyle is really like something that we should, we should be like thinking about too. But, and like fuck Airbnb and all that shit. Also. Amen. In addition. <laughs> Amen. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Sorry. Not to sidetrack you with too much political stuff that i mean i wouldn't no, call it political no. i would call it important like social stuff but oh yeah, yeah. you know i don't i don't want to blindside you with, with that kind of question but i think our audience will really appreciate that and we try to get what we can on that front out of all of our guest members because we're often less knowledgeable on all you know like you you're clearly on that subject very knowledgeable and like other people have like their subjects where they can teach us about as well and like gardner knows a little bit more than i do on, on that front but still obviously someone who's reported on it and is touching the ground like you are on the topics is gonna have more insight on it so it's just great to sure. get that kind of insight and something that our audience might not have been thinking about beforehand so i appreciate it absolutely i'd rather i'd rather talk about that than any of my book shit honestly it's like <laughs> but well i will I unfortunately will. for you my friend <laughs> i was gonna say yeah <laughs> I do have one other one that's a little bit of a side note too, but you mentioned Chicago being where you started. Do you have any sports allegiances to Chicago or no? Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, Bulls, Bears, of course. I've watched the Blackhawks if they're ever doing good, which they never are. But it's uh, but as far as the baseball question goes, I'm a White Sox fan. Yeah. Oh yeah. no. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I'm you can see Sox my fan. background. If I don't know if you see any of the Cubs stuff, but I, I got it's probably uh, hard to see. But I got I do. But yeah, there's some yeah, yeah. some Cubs stuff. Yeah. Oh, I was, yeah, yeah, I was I born see. in Chicago and then came okay. to New York. But I, 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 what I, we can agree on the other three. It is so what it good. is. You it know, is it is, is, yeah. yeah. No hate over here. I was rooting for them in 2005. Yeah. No, I, and I don't have any issue with the Cubs fans, really. I, it's just, it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, you're kind of born into a team and like, and I kind of don't care what, like, it's kind of like, I don't give a shit about sports allegiances and like, if people want to change their allegiances and what that's, I don't, it's whatever. But I do think there is something to like, just having a team that you follow and like, you, like, it's like, all right, I follow the White Sox. That's who I follow. And so then like, I could look at the newspaper and know the players and like, and know the farm system and that type of thing. But like, if they get, if tomorrow they like, you know, get disbanded or whatever, then it's like, all right, I guess I'll, I'll be a Mets guy now or something and just kind of follow the Mets. Like, I just want to follow one team. It doesn't matter who it is. It's just, I happen to be born in an area of Chicago where White Sox fans were, were around. And so, so that's how it works. Wow. A healthy opinion regarding <laughs> sports fandom. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> Sports fandom is uh, is very silly. I mean, I like I like I was been rooting. I've been rooting for the Warriors now in the finals because of my time in the Bay Area and like going to a bar and cheering them on and cheering them like louder than the Celtics fans is super fun. But like, I'm not gonna like throw fists because like Steph Curry like doesn't make a shot. Like, who who cares? Like, I want to talk to people. I would make fun of people or whatever. But like, I'm not gonna like get in any argument, like a real argument about something. These are these are multi billion dollar people that like don't give a shit about me what i don't have time to waste on them it's just another way to pass time it's just like yeah it's just jerking off basically you're just jerking off to you're not literally jerking off although maybe you are i don't know uh, your, some folks are yeah some folks might but it's the same thing it's just like a mental exercise that you're doing that's it yeah this is tribalism people want to be part of a group so they come along they pick a team and now i have an identity with this group and yeah we all hang out and we all like the same thing 
Absolutely. Which has benefits for sure. But once it gets like my tribe versus another tribe, that's where it gets kind of like creepy and stuff. But if you're like, yeah, if I go to a place and they're like, oh, you're a White Sox fan, I'm a White Sox fan, we could shoot the shit about some like young pl- player coming up or some old like memories of Mark Burley and stuff like that. That's great. But like, but once it, but if it's like one of those Sox fans is like, fuck the Cubs or whatever, it's like, well, all right, buddy. I don't really like, who cares? Just give me positive vibes. Give me the positive stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that for everything except for um, uh, Duncan and I both went to uh, UNC and Chapel Hill. And mm. so you just you just can't uh, support Duke around us. Then we might have trouble. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of like an exception. Duke is something that really like if you're a Duke fan, then you should be put on like some type of like predatory list or something. I don't know. So it's kind of like we got to keep track of these Duke fans and just kind of like just keep an eye on what's going on there. Oh, amen. Man. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Everyone but them is fine. <laughs> yeah. So I do want to guess we should some... get back to writing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know you do. I know you said you don't really want to talk about the book. No, but no, I know the audience would love to hear some sure. more about it. And if we could take this time as we're got a little bit of time left. So it's I think it's a good time to ask if you could give a spoiler free description of both the books, like a quick one, just for any of the audience members who right now are still thinking, hey, maybe I should buy one of these books, but they're like still on the fence. When what kind of book would they be getting into? Sure. Um, yeah, well, Eastern Span, of which there are literally three copies left, uh, although you can get it for free on the Internet Archive if you want. It's just like a PDF or something. That is a, uh, a neo-noir set in Oakland circa 2013 among the housing crisis. And it follows our hero whose name is Pug. And he just kind of is like a gig economy kind of worker and just kind of like stumbles upon like, uh, you know, he's got to find a friend. He's got an old lover back in town and uh, his friend goes missing. And then uh, and he kind of like is going through a lot of housing crisis style scenes in Oakland at that time. But, you know, noir kind of hard boiled kind of style, that sort of a thing. And then um, the Palmer Hotel is the latest one. And that is a collection of spooky stories set over a century in a downtown hotel. And that's kind of, um, yeah, it's a bunch of short stories. It's uh, it's based on a handful of spooky hotels that exist. <laughs> and uh, it's really just uh, a bunch of s- stories that don't necessarily connect until they do. And each one is sort of meant to kind of be its own like standalone kind of short spooky story. But but then there's some other stuff going on too. And I don't know. I guess I don't want to spoil it from there. But like, but that is available from me for $20. Or I do have like a free PDF if you want to email me or DM me or something too. I could send that to you. But the printed copy is, is 20 bucks. We're big physical media fans here. So we'll be pushing our audience to get the physical copy. Good. Yeah, I agree. I think it makes a big difference. I can't like... Like, I have a hard time now reading anything online longer than like a tweet, <laughs> which is like a disgusting thing to admit. But like I could read like thousand page books, but like sitting and reading an article that's over like 500 words. I'm like, oh, my God, this is awful. Well, it's too easy to just swipe to another app and right. get your serotonin boost elsewhere. But if you've got the paper that you're that's flipping right. through in your hands, you're more like invested. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of your books. You did something, I guess, not too unconventional nowadays. I'm seeing a lot of people doing it, but but self-publishing it, selling it on an individual basis to people. Um, what made you decide to go that route? Did you consider talking to a publisher or was it something that you were just like, nah, I'm going to publish it myself? I mean, the thing with Eastern Span was really 
it's weird to say, but like the project wasn't the book. The project was getting it into the hands of like the homeless sellers. And so like once that was kind of the thing that I wanted to do, then it was just like, I don't want to mess with like a publisher and kind of try to justify that. I just want to like do that, like get the money, kind of figure out like how to cover that cost and then kind of go from there. Um, and so that was sort of that I didn't really think about a publisher really at all, I don't think. Because there was like such a time constraint to it because I was moving and there was really such a, I just want to do this thing as opposed to like whatever, whatever comes with like publishing, right? But with the second book, the thing was, was I was kind of like, like, cause I got some publicity at the end of like Eastern span or whatever with like my stupid tweets. And so it was really just like, well, let's see if I could do it again and see if I could like, it was like the process kind of worked the first time. So let's just like continue to try to like use this buzz for a little bit and see if I could do it that way. Um, and again, it so it wasn't, so I didn't approach any publishers. I didn't like really approach any agents or stuff like that. It was really just like, here's the thing I want to do. Um, I know how I want to do it. I had like, I hired like some friends for both of those to kind of like to edit them and stuff and to like look at over and whatever. So it's not just like me kind of like without any type of input from people. Like I had like people kind of like read it and stuff and kind of like get a sense of things. But uh, and, and like people I trusted and, and things like that. But then at the end of the day, it's like, no, this is like how I want it to look like I know I want it to look a certain way, which is like, you know, small kind of hold in your like inner pocket of a jean jacket or something. And the artwork was like my friend's artwork, which I like wanted her to do all the artwork because she's amazing. And so it was like, like, this is what I want to do. So like, I have the object that I want to make. Why don't I just do it as opposed to like having an, a, even another cook in the kitchen <laughs> or whatever, right? Whether even if it's a second person just being like, why don't we make it a hardcover? It's like, no, fuck you. It's not supposed to be hardcover. Like, so it was just like, and I'm like, and I do have like enough of a job in terms of copywriting now where like, I don't need to like make money off of this. I'd, I'd, I'd rather not lose money. And really, I haven't, I haven't lost money on it now. Now I'm kind of all in the profit area. Not a lot, but like enough to where like I could at least say like, you know, I haven't lost money on printing these out, which is kind of all that I wanted. And then, you know, if you make a little money, that's that's fine or whatever. But it's not something I want to have to like, I don't want to have to live off of it, I guess, because then you start making certain concessions and start like doing certain things because you have to like make your money off it as opposed to just like this is a thing I want to make. And I put it out there and make the money back from the cost. And that's that. So we do usually talk about movies here on GDT. So I have to ask. Do you see your books ever being turned into films? And if they were, would you want to be involved in that process? I think, let's see, if someone wanted to approach me about making them in a movie, like, like, sure, that'd be fun. As opposed to like me being involved, I think it would just depend on the person that wanted to do it, I guess. Like if, if it was a person that wanted to like make, let's say like Eastern Span into a movie and I like the stuff that they did and that it's just, I don't know. I don't feel like I need to be involved in retelling these stories that I've kind of already told. I would be like, I'm working on other stuff now. I kind of want to keep on working on new things. And so it's just kind of like, I'd rather, uh, you know, pass the baton to someone else to see what they do with the material. And then I could kind of work on sort of what I want to work on, which is just like new other things do you have any interest in working on anything film or television wise like writing something specifically for that medium or no well let me tell you about the new thing i'm working on <laughs> awesome Ooh, yes yes that was gonna be one of our questions okay because it's kind of like it's not like soup it's not film yet but so what it is is it's a uh, so i live in greenpoint brooklyn which I, I don't know if you're familiar with that area at all but it's kind of like 
an area it's like it's like the northernmost tip of brooklyn so queens is right across the creek and then on the other way is like manhattan across the river so it's a very like strange little neighborhood because it's like it's kind of cut off by like from a lot of the rest of new york because of waterways and stuff and so it's kind of like this like weird like enclave kind of like neighborhood type of thing it's kind of like this like just small town in the middle of a huge city kind of thing because of like certain geographical like distinctions and um and so i've been living here for like a year and change and my rent went up in february i don't know how long i'm gonna be able to live here or whatever but i want to like do something that was like set here because i'm really kind of enamored by it and so i'm making this um it's basically like a radio play that you listen to as you walk like a three mile route through the neighborhood and so so yeah so like as you're walking you hear you know scenes that are taking place where you're at so if you're like on the bridge you hear a scene that's taking place like in the water below or if you're looking at this like there's this old historic building that's been around since the 1850s so you're like standing outside of it and you're hearing what's taking place on like the fifth floor and so it's all like a narrative and so it's sort of like and like it's i'm i'm getting there i have like i'm like the script is pretty much done i've kind of done a first draft of like all the sounds but i'm doing like all the voices right now which sucks but so i gotta get actors the next few months to kind of like take those over but i have the route done i have like kind of everything set um for that so i'm hoping to get that done by like the fall because it's kind of a spooky-ish story too and then just kind of put it up and kind of see what happens but i'm thinking about it in like very like movie-ish terms because it is like even though like like you know movie is just like uh you know audio and visuals or whatever right and like the audios i'm gonna work on and the visuals i'm telling people what they should see but you know they're about the same like you're still like you're looking at the same bridge you're looking at the same building and so i am thinking about it in a very like cinematic thing like everything like even producing even like all this all this stuff is just kind of like even like script development everything is very like cinematic but it's not a movie i guess it's like a walking tour thing and so that's so i don't know if that answers your question but that's sort of like the next thing that i'm kind of like dealing with right now yeah absolutely i mean that sounds i've not heard of a project quite like that so i'm really excited to hear more about that as you get closer to finishing it up yeah everyone i tell they say it's a great idea i think it's a great idea now if i could pull it off i don't know like we'll see like that's gonna be the trick is if it like if i don't like send someone just like to their death in the creek or something because they took a wrong turn but i think it like i think it'll be i think it's i think it'll be good i think it'll be okay but i I do think like the idea there is like some potential and like what would be fun is if people start running with that as like a thing to and like somebody makes a really great one in like a year but i think it's like a fun thing to kind of mess around with and kind of see what happens yeah i love it you said that is also going to be spooky is that where you tend to go in general when you're writing fiction or is there another genre that you're more comfortable with and i guess a second to that question is is there a genre that you haven't written that you want to write i think yeah spooky stuff noiry kind of crime stuff like i do like really sort of intense plot driven like stories not i don't love the stories where you're kind of like where some random dude is just thinking about things for like 150 pages or whatever like i don't give a shit like do like do something like i want to like i want to like like see a character do something rather than have them like think about something and so like to me for whatever reason like i was always like i've always sort of like been drawn to that type of material whether in like movies like old film noirs and stuff like that i love and just like those you know those type of stories especially in like the 40s and 50s film noirs where it's like crazy violent stuff and then like at the end like someone dies and then immediately just like it's over and that's it it's like oh perfect you don't need like another 15 minutes of like different scenes like wrapping things up like no it's just like it's over done let's go so i don't know i've always kind of been drawn to that and so it just feels like like spooky stories kind of like have 
that element to it. And yeah, and like noir stories, I mean, action and noir kind of are somewhat similar because there's a lot of like chase scenes and things like that. But I just, I think I just, I think both of those, I think with horror movies too, like if you think about like horror movies, a lot of it is you're watching somebody do something. Like whether that's like going down into a basement and being scared or like whatever, like you're just like seeing someone do something. You're not like, I don't know doing some type of like Woody Allen shtick where like some neurotic guy is just like ranting on and on and on about like whatever. It's like, ah, who gives a shit? So that's always just what I've been drawn to. And that's just what I like. Like I, I find who my characters are by like watching how they act, not like thinking of like, not like getting in their minds. Like I discover, like that is a thing of like uh, when I personally write, like a lot of people are like, you should know your characters and then you like set them on their path or whatever. But really like I need to set, you know, a character on their path. And then as they're making their movements, then they kind of reveal themselves to me. And then when I go back the second and third and fourth time, then I kind of like know who they are. But I don't like the first time through, it's like they're a mystery to me as much as anything. And so let's see what they do. And so I think that kind of like lends itself to maybe like a spookyish kind of thing or maybe like a noir adventure kind of thing, because you're just thinking about it in terms of like plot and an action. You're not thinking about it in terms of like, you know, this guy's dad died or something like, you know what I mean? And so it's kind of like, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of, <laughs> that's all I have for now. No, it definitely does. I think you're, yeah, yeah spot on. Do, do you have any, any authors maybe that you look up to that maybe their creative process you were, you were influenced in any way to come up with that? Because like you said, I've always heard know your characters and set them on their path. And hearing that your particular methodology is, is kind of the inverse of that is really interesting. And I'm, I'm curious. Um, do you know anybody else maybe who works like that or, or that you've seen or that maybe you can, you can point to a story where you get the feeling that it was crafted in that way. Yeah. I mean, so what I, so, you know, this is going to be like a, a film bro kind of answer, but like, but there was like a David Lynch thing. And like, I, so I'll like, I'll kind of back this up a little bit, but like in uh, 2003 or four, something like that, uh, I was working in LA and my boss got a phone call that was like, do you want to be an extra in a David Lynch movie tonight? And I said, yes, I would love to be an extra in a Dave Lynch movie. Uh, and so we went to some like bar seat, like setting in like downtown LA. And like, I was, I was an extra. It was like maybe a, a set of like, you know, 10 people at most. And it was David Lynch and then like a few actors and then, you know, a smoke machine guy and a guy doing the weird like lights and stuff like that. <laughs> and then um, and he was given direction to this guy or whatever. And like he we were there for maybe an hour and he just shot a few things on like video and and that was it. And then it was like, OK, that's that's stuck. And so I was like, all right, I kind of forgot all about it or whatever. And then like a few years later, uh, the movie Inland Empire came out. And that was the one with like Lauren Durr. They just like re-released it. And uh, and so I was like, kind of like, oh, that's the movie that I guess I was in. And I was kind of like reading up on the process and like how he did it was just like, you know, he's a big meditation guy, big like visual whatever thing. And he's just kind of like following the vibes that like, like whatever is going on. And like, but what he did with Inland Empire was like, because he had the digital video, which like afforded him for the first time in his career, sort of like unlimited film stock and stuff. So he could just like, and he did for two or three years, just kind of wake up, you know, do his meditation thing, be like, I want a scene in a bar with whatever. And then like at night, he would have his assistants organized enough people to like make it a reality. And so he would be shooting just these random scenes. 
at night with no direction of what was going to happen or anything. And then after about two or three years, he found the story. And then he was like, oh, okay, here's what I think the story is. And then he went back with Laura Dern and filled in kind of the rest. And then from there, it kind of made the movie. And that process always is like fascinating to me because it is kind of like a lot of it is just kind of vibing until you find what you want the story or what again you know it's not i don't think it's about like you wanting this to find the story it's just the story finds you and so it is kind of like whether that's like writing out a scene kind of in the middle of nothing and doing that a bunch of times and then like oh i guess this is what the story is about i should like follow this and then like from there you know editing it over and over and over and over so that was really important. I think another thing that he does too is like he messes around with mediums versus like, you know, painting or audio or film and stuff. And like there is something about like that process um, and kind of like changing mediums that kind of like stirs something in the creative process that like even like in this new project that I'm doing, which is like the audio play, like that started as like I had intentions of writing like another book and I got like 50,000, 60,000 words into it and I was kind of getting bored with it and I was like, ah, I don't know what to do. Um, and then I just kind of like was talking to my girlfriend who we just kind of like came up with this idea and then just kind of flowed out of me immediately. And so it was like I wrote it over like a weekend or something. It's it's gone through a lot of like rewrites, but it's still like there's something about like changing up mediums and just kind of like not being stressed if you don't know where something is going because like soon enough like it will or soon enough like the story will kind of like reveal itself to you that um you just have to trust and i don't know i guess that's that's like the most lit that was like the most like inspirational i guess like creative thing to see was him just kind of dicking around and not knowing what was going to happen and then like and then at some point being like oh no i think this is what it is what a cool answer to that question <laughs> and if you have personal ties to that movie. I don't know if you're familiar with And After That, but just today they dropped a collection with some Laura Dern Inland Empire merch. So Awesome. Awesome. Shout out to them as well. Great. But we do have to get to the end of this interview as much fun as it is. I have just a couple more questions, starting with you've given us so much advice already, so much insight into your process, your style and stuff like that. But is there one piece of advice that you have that you would give to an inspiring writer? Let's see. Yeah. I mean, I think to me, the best so for me, like the, what really opens the creative process, besides the things that I just said, but, uh, but even like um, when I was a journalist is to like physically go to the places that you want to write about. Um, and so if that is to if you have like a scene set in a park, even if it's not the park where you have it set, I would go I would go write it in the park on your phone or something, or at least like take notes or something. I think there's like there's something about like, you know, physically being present and like, uh, you know, mentally being aware in certain locations that are representative of sort of what you want to depict that will add like a legitimacy to it and also kind of open up the story and characters in a way that like maybe otherwise, because if you're just stuck in your own head, it's going to suck or you're going to get bored or whatever. But if you're like, oh, I have a scene in a bar, maybe I should go to a bar and just like, you know, just write down some conversations that you're overhearing just to like get something like that's happening. And like, I do think like writing on your phone is is great. I think that really opened up things for me in a lot of ways. I wouldn't like say every draft should be on your phone, but like as far as notes and as far as just like small things, it's like that's a big tool that like previous writers didn't sort of have that I think people should take advantage of, especially the kids these days <laughs> that like that are just TikToking and doing whatever on their phone anyway. That was great. Really great. Last question. Uh, are there any writers that our audience may not have heard about that you want to shout out? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going to shout out this book just because I had recently read it and it kind of blew me away. 
and it is it's i think it's pronounced paradise but it's like p-a-r-a-d-a-i-s because it's a spanish spelling um and it's an author named fernanda melkor i think that's how you say her last name melkor and it's like 120 pages and it's set in a housing development in uh, veracruz mexico with two really awful kids and it gets into very very gritty disturbing places but i kind of couldn't put it down there was something about like the writing style that that was just like the sentences were long but very coherent and they were going to places that like you wouldn't expect and it was just a very um yeah i don't know it was a very like visceral book that like i don't think i uh i had that type of reaction to since i was like in college and read fight club or something and like chuck palinick was like oh the biggest thing in the world or whatever but it was like i hadn't felt that type of like reaction to a book since uh since this one and so like this that's what i would totally recommend and short which is i love short books too i mean i think it's great whenever you can get a book under 200 pages it's like ideal but so yeah so that's that's my that's my rick pick of the day awesome we love it so before we let you go can you remind everyone how they can find you and your work online i know we said twitter at real rick paulis but is there anywhere else or anything else you want to remind them of before we go again everything will be in the podcast description yeah i mean if you just go to rickpaulis.com that has like all my contact information and ways to buy the books and uh and a bunch of old previous journalism that i used to do because i uh I still have them posted up there and as long and I mean I think some of the links still work. I think that a lot of the links don't, but that's still up there. So I would say yeah, rickpaulus.com is probably like the best way for for everything. If you're not if you're one of the people with like sanity that isn't on Twitter, that's the best place to reach me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Like I said, this has been great. We were really excited to do this interview, but you kind of exceeded those expectations anyway, so Absolutely, yeah. Thank you. Your insight was amazing. That's important. You gotta you gotta lower the expectations to the <laughs> bare minimums so that you could just surpass them. Mm-hmm. Cool. We were, I'm telling you, the, the expectations were not not very low. You had you right. had kind of a high bar to, to meet, and you this was really <laughs> a lot of fun. I know that our audience is gonna love this, so I really appreciate you taking the time. And thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. There you have it, folks. That was our interview with Rick Paulus. I know that I always hype up our interviews, but that's only because we haven't had a bad one yet. So I know you guys were hearing me talk a lot of shit about how good this episode was at the beginning. And you were probably like, another one? Come on. Another great one. How good was that? Rick was amazing. He gave us such good insight. I know we were hyping him up during it, telling him like, wow, great answer. Because it was answer after answer. That was great. I was excited to go into it. I knew it was going to be good. But like I said, he even managed to exceed those high expectations that I had. So there it is. Rick Paulus at real Rick Paulus on Twitter, real Rick anywhere you want to find him, find those books, Eastern Span and the Palmer Hotel and check out all of his work too. I'm really excited for that audio story. I live right there, so I can walk through that very soon. I'll have to tell you about it, Gardner, or you'll have to make a visit to do it. That could be fun. But stay tuned for that. That's coming out this fall, hopefully, for around when Halloween is occurring, because he's a little spookiness going on in that action as well. But you heard him say it while you listened to me talk about more of it. Gardner, how good was that? That was just fantastic. Rick, thank you. What a great interview. I had so much fun during that conversation. I'm really looking forward to that project in the fall. I'm looking forward to getting copies of the books. And uh, yeah, 
let's make that trip happen. That sounds awesome. Uh, I would absolutely love that. There you have it, folks. Like I said, like Gardner said, thank you, Rick, for joining us today. We really appreciated it. And thank you to our listeners for staying to the end of this interview. I don't even feel like I should thank you for it. This was a treat to you guys, but we always like to thank you guys because we appreciate you guys sticking around, checking out our episodes. Hopefully you're a recurring listener. But if you're a new listener, hopefully we've piqued your interest and you want to check out our past episodes. I said at the beginning, but Rick is just another one in a line of great interviews we've already done too. This was one of my favorites that we've gotten the chance to do. But in the past, we've interviewed some amazing people as well. So please check out our back catalog of interviews that we've done as well. We've got probably close to 30 interviews done at this point. So there's something for everyone in there. And if you're not into the interviews, the more independent stuff, then check out the superhero episodes on Tuesdays. Or right now we're doing Kenobi on Thursdays. So you're probably into Star Wars, Marvel, or independent shit, right? It's got to be one of those things for you. I'm just kidding. There's people who don't like any of those things. But hopefully we have something for everyone. And then you can also check out our Monday episodes. I don't want to shill my short film too much, but if you're into what we're doing and what we're trying to turn into a short film, then check out those Monday episodes as well. But those are our weekly episodes. Like I said, Fridays are those goldmine of interviews that we do. And next week we'll have more on our short film. We'll have the Avengers from Marvel. We'll have the final episode of Kenobi and we'll have another interview for you. So stay tuned for all of those and check out our back catalog of episodes, like I said, as well, because there's something for everyone and follow us on any platform that you can find podcasts on. That's right. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the free ones. Search the letters G D T and you'll find us and you can subscribe to us. And you can also leave a five-star review. We really appreciate those five-star reviews, but you don't have to. Subscribing will allow you to follow along and never miss an episode. And if you're inclined, you could also find us on social media. We're available on Twitter and Instagram at GoodDataPod and on Facebook at GDT Podcast. So we post all our episodes on those platforms as well. So if you're worried about missing an episode, you never will if you find us on social media and you subscribe to us on your podcasting platform. But either way, you can find us anywhere you find podcasts. G D T. That's the most important part. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. That's the end of the show, folks. Again, a big thank you to Rick. We really appreciate it. We can't wait for your next project, and we can't wait to have another interview as good as this. So stay tuned for more. We will talk to you again next week. Thank you for tuning in, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. This was really, really fun. Thank you again, Rick. As always, to our audience, we love you, and we'll see you on the next one. It's time to feel the rage. Join us on Film Rage, where we talk movies, current releases, coming attractions, streaming, and classic films as well. Directors and actors, beware as you cannot hide from the rage. My name is Bryce, and I'm part of the Film Rage crew, which also includes Jim. Hey, hey. And Murray. Yo. Why is it you always talk? All the time. I can't understand why. This is the Merman, the voice of reason. These two can't agree on anything most of the time. Some movies are Mondo. Some are just... Every week, something is going to make us rage. Join us every Wednesday and feel the rage.